Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Clinical Science Podcast. My name is Dr. Panarella. Today, I'm going a little bit old school, going back to our roots, so to speak. Today, I'm going to talk about canine distemper. It's a it's a very common virus, and it's worldwide. And there's some interesting facts I learned that uh, I hadn't been taught in vet school that came up during the research that I did for this podcast. So canine distemper is a viral disease of dogs as opposed to a bacterial infection of dogs. If you remember, viruses are pieces of genetic material that reproduce inside a mammal's body. Or even there's uh, viruses of bees and whatnot. So I should say that in this case, it's a viral disease of mammals, primarily dogs, but as we'll learn, there'll be other species involved. It's also called canine distemper virus or CDV, and more recently called canine morbilly virus. And uh, anybody in the world of medicine or science knows the further we get, the more we learn the reclassification of viruses. And the same goes for bacteria too. The, there's more reclassification and renaming. So once you go to school and you get out of school, you have to start learning all of these new names from what you were originally taught. So the history of uh, canine distemper virus is pretty interesting. It, there was a paper put out, which I'll have a nice, uh, I'll have a link for. It's a nice paper that probably canine distemper virus mutated from the human measles virus about 1,100 years ago. And interestingly enough, they think human measles virus may have originated from a morbilly virus of cattle about 2,400 years ago. So relatively speaking, these viruses, uh, measles and morbilly viruses, are relatively young. I think it's only a couple of thousand years old. Beyond that, they couldn't hypothesize where the virus actually came from. Although there was uh, several years going back, I listened to a podcast or either I read, it was a podcast or I listened or I read a paper that was hypothesizing that viruses are, as I said, pieces of genetic material, but they have come from originally bacteria. I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought, geez, that was an interesting proposition. And also in a different podcast, science was thinking that there was maybe another 400,000 viruses that have yet to be discovered. So as as we move on as a society, as a culture, as a people, we'll learn more and more that there are different viruses out there. First reported cases occurred after the Span Spaniards colonized the New World, the New World being basically North America, Central America, and South America at the time. Well, the first reported cases were in 1746 in Ecuador, and Ecuador is on the northwest coast of South America. And by then, Spaniards had, of course, you know, Columbus had come in 1492 to the Caribbean. And then there was other, I don't have a good memory for the names and the years when different Spaniards came. But the Spaniards brought dogs with them from Europe. And when they did that, they created a pandemic which killed native dogs. There were dogs in the Americas prior to the Spaniards coming, but the same is true of the native populations of the New World when they were exposed to Spaniards. Spaniards carried lots of diseases from Europe, 
the native populations had no antibodies, had no resistance to any of those diseases, so they pretty much were wiped out, which is true of the American Indians. They believe, I think upwards of 90% died from diseases transmitted from, from the Spaniards. So it's a pandemic that killed native dogs, which allowed the European and Asian dogs that had been brought over during colonization of the New World to flourish. And by 1760, the distemper virus was taken back to Spain. And thereafter, it spread through all of Europe and then spread throughout the rest of the world. That paper that I'll link to surmised that in the United States, canine distemper came in the 1880s, give or take. Now, you know, probably what you're talking about is the disease probably arrived earlier. I don't think it's any different than what we experienced in the last few years with COVID, that there are cases, and in the beginning, when there's no ability to make a diagnosis, that you can have individual cases of animals dying. But once you start getting epidemics and pandemics, that allows science to have more abilities to to create testing to check for the presence of, in this case, a virus. So my guess is that the disease was here. Dogs were around at that time, but probably there was no coordinated effort to study what was going on. Species affected, of course, we mentioned the human measles virus and uh, canine distemper virus, separate from the measles virus affects carnivores. Now that's dogs, lions. I know there's been reports of African lions succumbing to distemper virus, mink, uh, other mammals, sea mammals like dolphins and sea lions. And I know over the years there's been reports of, of sea lions or seals dying from canine distemper virus. So you can see that the virus at this point is spread throughout the world. There is a little bit of a concern because non-human primates can be infected with the canine distemper virus. So there's concern that there can be transmission to human beings and that we would call a zoonosis. But oddly enough, there can be a reverse zoonosis because the disease actually started out in cattle, right, with the morbillivirus, virus, and then it mutated into the human measles virus, into the human measles virus, which technically we could consider a reverse zoonosis to dogs turned into canine distemper virus. So we are not separate from the animal kingdom. And that's a, that's a, a thought process called, or a philosophy called one health. One health meaning that the earth, all its inhabitants, animals, us included, the, um, uh, plant life, everything is interrelated, and it seems as we go along that that is more and more the case. Now, for us in veterinary medicine and in human medicine, there is in human medicine there is a measles vaccine. Most people, hopefully, have been vaccinated against measles, and in dogs there is a a very there are very good vaccines available. Canine distemper virus vaccine is what's called the core vaccine of dogs, and core vaccine of dogs. I usually think about as uh, a particular, it's it's a multivalent, which is multiple strains of viruses in the vaccine. We have the stemper, core vaccine, adenovirus, parvovirus, and parainfluenza virus. And I think what I'm going to do in further future podcasts is cover the rest of those core vaccines that we haven't talked about, although we did already have a podcast on parvovirus. So DA2PPV 
is a one, two, three, four-way dog vaccine. Now, there's multiple other vaccines that dogs can get, but that's not what I'm talking about today. This is considered a core vaccine. And typically for puppies, we're going to vaccinate puppies every two to four weeks, depending on the situation at approximately six to eight weeks of age, 10 to 12 weeks of age, and 14 to 16 weeks of age. And that last vaccine is probably the most important because puppies, if they've been nursing on their mothers and their mothers have been exposed to distemper virus, their mother will have antibodies. And maternal antibodies in puppies can block the ability of the puppy to respond immunologically to a vaccine. So that last puppy booster is extremely important. It is recommended to, at minimum, repeat that vaccine in one year to booster the immune system. And then most stamper vaccines at this point are labeled for every three-year rebooster. And the vaccine is not recommended for pregnant females because they, they can cause problems with the puppies and probably abortion. Okay, let's get on to some more specifics about canine distemper virus. How is it transmitted? It's transmitted through aerosol droplets. That should sound familiar for anybody that just came through the COVID uh, the COVID crisis. Uh, aerosol droplets in the air from, from infected animals coughing, sneezing, barking, or what have you. Direct contact with body fluids, and this virus is excreted in all body fluids, feces, urine, saliva, tears, you name it. And we all know that dogs are pack animals, and they commingle, and there's a lot of nose to rear end contact, or there's nose to nose contact. So it is a very easily transmitted virus amongst dogs, especially now that you know this, that you see densely populated animals, dogs in a breeding facility, dogs in a kennel, dogs in a rescue, air quotes, in a rescue. Very easy to spread this virus from one animal to another. Viral tropism is we've mentioned before, I've mentioned before, is where does a virus like to, to enter the body? And the canine distemper virus likes to get into the lymph tissue and the lymphocytes of the respiratory tract. And then it moves on from there through the epithelial cells in the GI tract and the neurologic system. And the virus causes lymphopenia. So the virus is suppressing lymphocytes and lymphocytes fight off viral infections. So it is, it is serving its own purpose by allowing itself to reproduce by suppressing the the ability of the body on one hand to fight off the viral infection. Now, the virus is an RNA virus and has a lipid envelope. Lipids are fats, right? We had talked about cell membranes in the last episode. Uh, and this RNA virus has a, has a fat coating on it. And that's really great because fat coatings mean that the virus is easily killed by disinfectants and detergents. And detergents work by breaking down fat. So once you break down the virus envelope, then the virus is susceptible to, to being killed. And also, most disinfectants available to us today will also kill distemper virus. Incubation in a patient once exposed is about 10 to 14 days. Of course, it's going to vary. Probably some are on the seven-day-ish range, and some are probably more in that two-week range. Invulnerable patients would be, of course, any unvaccinated dog, puppies, Puppies that aren't vaccinated and puppies that don't nurse on their mother having maternal antibodies would be extremely susceptible to the virus. And then an immunosuppressed dog, 
Now, a dog that's been vaccinated that's immunosuppressed probably would not get infected, although I wouldn't expect you to be bringing an immunosuppressed dog around other dogs. And the same is true of unvaccinated puppies, and this is just a generic recommendation. I probably mentioned it in a Parvo episode. You do not want to ideally bring unvaccinated puppies or not completely vaccinated puppies to dog parks or to play with other dogs that And it doesn't matter if dogs appear healthy because we know viruses, they're going to be carriers and an animal can can be infected with the stemper virus and shed the virus again and all the fluids that we talked about. And dogs playing together will, you know, sniff each other, possibly lick each other. If a dog is sick, starting to show clinical signs and starts coughing, well, then that other dog is going to be exposed very highly. Virus shedding. I mentioned uh, viruses excreted in all the body fluids, and it can start several days before this, the onset of clinical signs. It can last for up to six months. So lasting up to six months tells you how long that those cells are infected and the virus is reproducing. So even after a dog recovers, it can still be shedding, and then it's not ideal, again, to bring your dog to a dog park because that dog can be shedding the virus. And that's how these viruses are going to stay in these populations of animals. You're going to have animals continually shedding. They can appear healthy, but they're still shedding the virus. So the name of this podcast is Clinical Signs. What are the clinical signs of canine distemper? Fever, which is mostly going to turn into lethargy in these animals. You're not really going to know the animal is hot because an animal's normal temperature is 101 or 102 degrees Fahrenheit, but the temperature is going to go up to 104, 105 Fahrenheit. Definitely ocular and nasal discharge, and this discharge is mucopurulent, and that is a, it's going to be yellow to a gray discharge, and, and it's red, readily evident uh, that there is that there is this discharge. It's usually coming from the eyes, which means the ocular component, the conjunctiva is going to be inflamed. It's going to be a tremendous amount of discharge, and also from the nose. Coughing, and typically animals severely infected are going to develop pneumonia, and then on top of the viral pneumonia, they're going to have secondary bacterial infections because the virus, we said, is suppressing the immune system, and that allows normal bacteria in the body. And technically, the lungs are supposed to be sterile. But in the upper uh, airwaves, you're going to have bacteria, and then that bacteria is going to be able to infiltrate the tissue and cause secondary infections. Vomiting and diarrhea, our old friend, loss of appetite. In puppies that survive, in puppies that are affected prior to erupting all their teeth, which happens about six six months or so, puppies infected before that that survive will have what's called enamel hypoplasia. And what that looks like in adult dogs is if an adult dog is ill as a puppy before the teeth or the adult teeth erupt, the virus will damage the enamel and then you'll have defects in the enamel. And a lot of times it looks like brown spots on the teeth or patches. So part of a physical exam of a veterinarian is looking at the teeth. And sometimes you can get an indication just looking at the teeth if the animal has survived distemper virus. There can be dermatitis, uh, skin infections with pustules. Dogs that survive have hyperkeratosis, that's thickening of the paw pads and the nose. The skin of the nose will become quite thickened and crusty. And this virus can get into the neurological system, causing encephalomyelitis. Encephalo means the brain, and myelitis means inflammation of the myelin sheath of the neurons. So you have inflammation in the brain and in the uh, the nerves 
in the body, right? Part of the central nervous system. The central, there's a central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal cord. And then there's the peripheral nervous system. The peripheral nervous system is everything else, all the other nerves that come out of the brain and the spinal cord. And neurologically, we can see stumbling or hypermetric gait. Hypermetric gaits meaning that the animal is is high stepping. It's bringing its legs up very high because it loses proprioception. Proprioception, some people think, is the fifth or sixth sense because that means where you are, and the same is true of an animal, where its limbs are in the world and being able to touch and feel, let's say, the ground or the floor if you don't have proprioception, you're not going to, to be able to sense that. So the animals are going to have high-stepping gaits. There's going to be muscle twitching or myoclonus, possibly seizures, and possibly paralysis. In addition, we can have nystagmus because the virus can get into the optic nerve. Nystagmus is when the eyes are shifting, the pupils are shifting either to the left or to the right. Uh, usually it's a, a horizontal nystagmus, although there can be a vertical nystagmus as well. There can be a head tilt. That means the head is cocked to one side from the straight line to the left or to the right. And this is all, uh, not all of it, but some of it is emanating from a damaged cerebellum. Old dogs can have old dog distemper or old dog encephalitis if they survive the severe infection because they can have lifelong neurologic problems and that hyperkeratosis that I was talking about. Diagnosis is clinical signs, and we have the ability to, to make a diagnosis in this case with testing. We can do PCR, right, polymerase, polymerase chain reactions, which you will test, you will swab the animal either on the conjunctiva or uh, for respiratory secretions, you can do a transtracheal wash, let's say, and you look for the antigen, you're looking for the virus or virus isolation, which is basically a culture different from a PCR. And we can also take blood and measure antibody titers, which I'll talk about that again in a couple of minutes. So we can see if the animal has had a reaction to, in the short term, via um, immunoglobulin M or in the long-term immunoglobulin G, IgM or IgG. Differential diagnoses, I had a podcast on differential diagnoses and canine parvovirus is a differential diagnosis because parvovirus can have a lot of these same symptoms, although usually you don't have the respiratory component, but you do have the lethargy, fever, vomiting, and diarrhea, infectious tracheobronchitis, abbreviated ITB or AKA also known as kennel cough, Kennel cough can be caused by numerous viruses and bacteria, as well as mycoplasma organisms, infectious canine hepatitis, which is that adenovirus 2 in the core vaccine to protect against infectious canine hepatitis, and organophosphate poisoning. And again, a little aside, when I was in veterinary school, unfortunately, the housemates that I was living with we had some cats and some dogs, and, and one cat uh, was poisoned and died, and my cat was poisoned, but it survived. So or organophosphates are out there. It is a common tactic by people that want to poison animals. They will bait food with the organophosphates, and it comes in, in many forms, granules, liquids, powders, whatnot. They'll uh, put it in a meatball or some kind of meat, and the animal will consume that meat and then possibly succumb or be quite ill with the organophosphate. Treatment, 
is primarily symptomatic. That's hospitalization if the animal is really sick, support uh, the um, the blood pressure and hydration with IV fluids, antibiotics for secondary bacterial infections, treatment of the vomiting and diarrhea, treatment of the pneumonia. So it, it's going to depend how severely affected. And the more severely affected, the animal's going to require hospitalization for treatment. And there may be still a, a poor outcome. I did do some reading. There are some antivirals that have been tested. I don't think any are on the market at this point. So possibly in future, there might be some very specific antivirals targeting canine distemper virus. Now let's talk about what happens if an animal survives an infection or is vaccinated. Natural infection and survival or vaccination both give lifelong immunity. The immunity a dog receives from the vaccine, I've never pulled blood and run a serum test on a nationally infected dog, but I know that dogs vaccinated have extremely high titers, meaning they have a very, they, they what is called mounted a, an excellent immune response. So their body responded very well to the vaccine. And again, I had mentioned that we can measure titers to make a diagnosis. We can also measure titers to test an animal to see if how their uh, distemper titer is as they age. And therefore, if you measure a titer, then you won't need to revaccinate unless that titer drops down. And that covers distemper. Back at the beginning of my career, I worked at it in a practice in a veterinary hospital in a city. And I remember a case of a, I believe a dog was a, a mutt type that had um, had hard pad disease, had thickened epithelium, and was extraordinarily thin, probably had had chronic pneumonia from and lung damage from distemper, and had a terrible, that mucopurulent nasal discharge. And a lot of times those are just green, yellow, bilateral from the nose. And that's become that that's because that um, respiratory epithelium has become infected, and it's just changed over time. And then you get that chronic secondary bacterial infection. So I have seen cases of it. I don't think that I've seen a case since that beginning of my career. But the virus is still out there, especially unvaccinated animals. So please make sure that you take your your puppy, your dog to your vet. Get a physical exam and any booster vaccines that are required. If you're concerned about your puppy, please see your veterinarian, make an appointment, take your pet to an emergency hospital. This is a pretty much a preventable disease, provided that the animal is healthy and gets proper vaccines at the proper times. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you again soon.